And I thought about our world today. You know, we are being trampled on by the left. They have sabotaged the, from the White House to the church house. They have sabotaged it. They are fighting with all their soul, mind, and strength. Meanwhile, most Christians are like that gentleman I talked about at the beginning of my sermon. You know, I believe like you do, but it's all going to crumble anyway. And, and we don't want to be mean. We don't want to ruin our testimony. So what happens? Christians aren't fighting. They're not in the game. And here's the problem. When, when you get a bully on the playground, there's only one way to stop a bully. And it isn't to be sweet and nice and kind and not lose your testimony. There's only one way to stop a bully is to reach back, and I don't matter how small you are, and I'm a small guy, reach back and teach that bully a lesson. There's a time to turn the other cheek, but not, and I looked at this, this brother when he talked to me, you know, we ought to be nice, you know, Jesus was nice, and I said, yeah, but he also threw over tables once, and, and I want to reach the last two, but if they're coming into my home to rape my wife and kill my children, I'm going to beat them up first, probably shoot them if I can, and then I'll witness to them, because I don't want them to go to hell. I want them to go to heaven. But first, I'm going to protect my family. It is not love to allow an enemy to come into our home and destroy our family, destroy our land, and destroy our home. That's not love. That's not love. And friends, that is what's happening in our nation right now. The enemy has come into our home, and the seeds of destruction are not really in China. They're not really in Russia. They're not really in Iran. They're right here in our country. The left is much more dangerous than Iran and Russia and China. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high school. Because my best days will be Hey everyone, welcome to Unlearning Youth Group, where the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group, find the good, unlearn the bad, and figure out where the heck we go from here. We haven't met. My name is Jonathan Crone, and we're joined as always by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. What is up? Are we? This is we're wrapping this. We're ending this thing. Is that right? This is the last one for this season. Let's hope we don't pull a Game of Thrones and just completely, you know, crash land at the final episode. Or kill a bunch of people. That could or be Or the Sopranos too. and I just turn things off in the middle of the episode. Yeah, exactly. Know, like- <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the issue. Fi- you know, uh, let's, uh, here's the bad, here's the good. Okay, where do we go from here? White noise. And then it goes into whatever podcast is next in your feed. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you start hearing crime junkie sounds and then it's, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> next on True Crime. That's right. Or if it's my world next on Pod Meets World with Danielle Fischel, Ryder Strong, and Will Friedle. There you go. There you go. Exactly. I'm a, I'm a nostalgia junkie. Anyways, hey, if if you're new with us, if you haven't been with us this season, or if you have, I'm going to give you our disclaimer that we're given every episode this season. Uh, most of you, if you've been with us, you can uh, quote it by now. <laughs> uh, tell them, say, congregation, say it with me now. This is my Bible. Say it oh with my me. Gosh. Could you imagine you just went in the Joel Osteen, this is my Bible thing? Oh, God. Anyway, continue. Sorry. 
This season, we are not about trying to convince you to vote a certain way. We are not telling you you should vote for one party or the other. We are not about shaming you into feeling guilty for who you voted for in the past or who you plan to vote for in the future. We are about looking at how some topics have been co-opted by politicians who have used the church for political gain. We're about showing how there are issues Christians must care about while acknowledging the liberty. We have to come to different conclusions on how to best fix those issues. And we are about reframing the role of politics within our Christian worldview. And that last one is going to be where we stick at today. As we leave Mm -hmm. this season off, as we finish up eight episodes about politics and government, and if you're listening to this as it comes out, as you go into vote next week in the the midterms, how do we do this? How do we talk about this? Once the election results are in, how do we talk about this with other people? And it is not like that opening line for this episode. That was from Patriot Church, which is just out of Knoxville, Tennessee. And it perfectly demonstrates what not to do with what we're talking about today and how politics has become something we have to win as opposed to something that we are a part of. Mm, yeah, it's like even with the name of the church, like they're just saying the quiet part out loud right there. I've seen an interview with that dude. He's like, yeah, 10 years ago, we never would have been able to do what we're doing. It's like, they are purposefully oh. like, <laughs> they know, they know what they're doing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Wow. Amazing. I, I saw a video of them at, in market square, Knoxville. For those that don't know, I, I spent nine years in Knoxville. So I know the area really well. They were down by the university of Tennessee doing a worship session and they were holding Trump flags, American flags and singing contemporary Christian music all at the same time. Because yep. at that church, it's all together. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. we know that's not most of you listening. We know most of you listening really want to approach this in the right way. You want to be able to talk to your friends and your family in the right way. So what we're going to do today is give you a little bit of history on how we got to where we are today in terms of our rhetoric around politics. We've talked a lot about policies this season. We've talked about worldviews. Today, we're talking more about rhetoric and how we approach and talk about things. So if we go back in time, like obviously we've talked throughout the the season, we talk about Christian nationalism, we talk about racism. These issues go way far back. And uh, but let's start with where I think most of our listeners at least would consider it either during their lifetime or during recent memory, because we can go back further for other seeds. But for the modern equivalent of where politics and religion has come through, I want to start at in 1987. Before 1987, there was this thing established called the Fairness Doctrine, which I think was established in the 40s, where basically the FCC was like, hey, you're presenting political stuff. If you're presenting political stuff on air, you have to give equal time to both sides of the issue. That's why if for those of you who are you know millennials like me uh, and, and Jonathan, like if your parents would remember Walter Cronkite or would remember some of these old school uh, people that would present the the um, news and it would really truly be fair and balanced or more right the newsman the, the newsman that we talk about we don't have anymore right yeah it would just be presenting the news yes there's obviously spin on everything but it felt a lot more in the middle well what happened was in 1987 Ronald Reagan abolished the fairness doctrine which there were probably good reasons for that we can get in that you know in politics season two I guess <laughs> but what that really twenty four. Yeah, exactly. And it opened the door for the Fox News, for Rush Limbaugh, especially for these uh, right wing and left wing media groups that could just present um, news through their slanted view 
and just with their opinions without any sort of fact checking or without any sort of, um, you know, need to, to, to ha- have accountability. Then and you Eric, fast forward. Let, let's go, let's go seven, seven weeks back. Do you remember what we call that? Uh, oh propaganda. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We call that. Pro- <laughs> I was like, ah, quiz. No propaganda. Yeah. So it's basically propaganda. Yeah, exactly. Having a slant to try and convince somebody to do something like that. So if you're a Fox News viewer, if you love it, you just have to know when you're watching stuff like Tucker Carlson, when you are listening to things like Rush Limbaugh or Sean Hannity or anything else like that. Remember, there used to be Hannity and Combs where you had uh, somebody on the right and on the left and they would debate. And then they just kind of got rid of that and went, no, we're not even going to do this. We're just going to go all one side. Then when you fast forward, so that opens the door. Then you fast forward to 1994. Newt Gingrich had this, you know, new pact with America, right, that he was going to revolutionize the Republican Party. Yes, a lot of people say it started earlier, Nixon and whatnot. But he really started instilling this combative approach to the Republican Party where they were okay with hateful language and hyper-partisanship. And that was kind of the norm at that point. He questioned the patriotism of Democrats. He called them corrupt. He compared them to fascists. He accused them of wanting to destroy the United States. And they actually found that he he gave instructions to Republicans to use these words, betray, bizarre, decay, destroy, devour, greed, lie, pathetic, radical, selfish, shame, sick, steal, traitors. And so, I mean, we have to figure out a way to fit this in every single episode. But as marketers, Jonathan and I know, it's all about the marketing and the messaging and the way that you talk about people. So we Democrats, said the moral majority had incredible messaging, and that's why ex- it stuck. Same with Republicans. And so now you don't just have people who disagree or like we've talked about before, who uh, have common goals, but different approaches. These are traitors who want to destroy and devour our way of life. Whoa. And so this this actually opened up a new side of politics we hadn't seen in the modern history, which is the conventional wisdom was that two parties in a two party system would counterbalance each other and they would achieve more success as they started to you know move closer to an ideological center whereas now these are like two same sides of a magnet that are that are opposing each other and pushing in opposite directions and one of the things that is not debated at all it's one of the few things in politics that people agree with it's that republicans have better messaging than democrats the Republicans all the time have incredible messaging that rallies their base and moves their base where they want them to go. Democrats, they're split. They're a big tent. There's a bunch of different people they're trying to appease within that tent. And so Democratic messaging has always been terrible. To this day, it is terrible. Republican messaging is great. And it's the messaging that allowed people or helped people shift to a place to where even as Christians, they could separate how Jesus calls us to act in life versus how they act in politics and government. Mm -hmm. And it's what's used to be where in politics, we wouldn't stoop to the level of quote unquote, those people, the Mm -hmm. politicians that did this as Christians, we, we held ourselves to a different standard. Yeah. But because this messaging was so strong, combined with the one-sided nature of 
where news media was going. And for the record, if you're only getting your messaging and your news from vice or some other hardcore (laughs) progressive things, you're just as bad as those who only get it from Fox news. So I want to say that in so that we can be fair and And balance abide by the fairness doctrine, fair and balance. (laughs) Absolutely. 100%. So you've got Gingrich in 94 and Eric explained that, so that was going on in the background. You're, you're seeing a slow infiltration of that. But even in 2000 and 2004 with uh, George W. Bush, he was still considered a compassionate conservative. He was the guy who was nice. He was folksy and he mm-hmm. wasn't going to get mean. He had people in his camp that would do that. But right. publicly front facing, he was not the guy that was going to be rude or take shots at other people. In 2008, John McCain, who was the Republican presidential candidate, he actively asked state parties to pull attack ads on Barack Obama because he thought they went too far. Yep. So we're talking 14 years ago. And that recent, we had presidential candidates who were not willing to go into that. McCain actually defended Obama in a famous town hall. Oh, yeah. When if you remember that one where someone accused him, this old white lady can, they accused Obama of being a Muslim or not born here or something like that. And McCain actually took the microphone and interrupted her and stood up for the humanity of at the time, Senator Obama. Oh yeah. So, and they were like coworkers. Imagine that because they were both senators. And so it's like, he stood up for not only a fellow human being, but his coworker who had different ideals than him. And I remember people calling uh, McCain weak and it's like, yes, he was a prisoner of war. He was tortured. You know, like how crazy are we to call John freaking McCain weak? And you're like, dude, couldn't even lift whether his you arms agree up. with his policies or not. The man right. was not weak. Like, right. Exactly. And so that that's where you started seeing this shift more like McCain lost support for Republicans because he stood up against lies that degraded his opponent. So this, so hold on real quick on this one. Think about what that what that means. If you go back to your elementary school days, this was the guy uh, uh you know any movie that you have like a bully movie with a bully motif it's like this was the guy or the girl that's friends with the bullies that sticks up for the kid uh, the the you know the other kid that they're bullying and does what's right. And then they get ridiculed. It's like in every movie, we know that the bullies are wrong for that. But somehow in our politics, we're like, yeah, that's right. Pile on the dude who stuck up for what's right here. And that is just that you could say, okay, whatever in politics. But as a Christian, that should be raising major red flags. Yes. Getting back to the history of it in 08, there was that giant blue wave Mm -hmm. where the president, the house and the Senate were all blue. They all went Democrat. And so in the, as people were looking back, trying to figure out what happened, part of it was, well, we got to start fighting back more. The Gingrich type of stuff started coming in more. And then it was the next year in 2009 when the tea party movement started. Yep. And that's what I believe was the foundation for where Christian nationalism is that we see today and it yeah. was also the turning point of how Christians acted in politics, Christians at large. So if you're listening yeah. to this, I doubt you did this, but I, I want to give you the history of it. Mm-hmm. By 2010, 
there were 138 candidates across the country in the midterm elections with Tea Party support. 50% of those were elected to the Senate. 50% of the Tea Party supporters in the 2010 election were elected to the Senate. 31% were elected to the House. And here's the thing. Even if they didn't get voted in, even if that ideology didn't win in a certain election, the Tea Party candidate beat out an established Republican. This happened in eight Senate races. So think about the Republicans who wouldn't stoop that low. Eight of them got primaried and got beaten that year. So that that's a shift that we have to put a pin in and think about. But even bigger than that, between 2.7 and 5.5 million additional voters showed up in those elections based on Tea Party protests. So just like in the abortion episode where we talked about in 1978, that shift towards pro-life energized voters, they learned that fighting back and getting in the muck, that's going to encourage more people. So it's okay. So we got more people to vote. We won more elections. So now traditional Republicans, Christian Republicans, evangelical Republicans who would stay above the mess, they were left with a choice. Do we continue to participate in politics in a way that's true to our Christian values and risk getting primaried and beaten? Or do we get down in the mud and start fighting as well? Right. 12 years later, I think we can see where what happened. Yeah. And I think, you know, we could talk about Mitt Romney in here because that's what happened next. I mean, it, you know, if anybody can say that, like, somebody was devout. Now, what? what wherever you want to go with Mormon beliefs, anything like that, I think we could still say there's a common moral background here. And it, whether I mean, you really, believe they're a cult or not, they right. at least have great family values and they're going to treat people really well. Right, exactly. And he got beaten so badly that it was like even more proof. And what do you look back to? You look back to again, where it started kind of with, with Gingrich, because in that, in the nineties, that's where the, big red revolution, the red wave happened. So the idea is if we, meaning Republicans, if Republicans wanted to get it back, they've got to fight back in a bigger way. And I I have searched long and hard to find who's, who said this. So I am sorry I don't have the the original source. Uh, so this is not my idea, but it's one that I, I think is so true, is in the primaries in 2016 for the 2016 election, in the Republican primaries, who was the candidate that came on the scene that was different than everybody else? Donald J. Trump, right? He comes out on the scene. He wasn't a Republican, if anything, right? He he wasn't one of those. And in the primary, He's a third-party populist that ran as a Republican. Exactly. And this is so this is what what I heard one person say that I thought was fantastic is that uh basically we used to call playing dirty, getting in the mud, right? It was called mud slinging. And you started to see, like, how come Trump can say so many vile things and have so many skeletons in his closet and be such a bad candidate, so to speak, without getting dirty? And the answer is Trump had a new a new strategy of becoming mud. He was mud. So when he, you know, when when he would throw mud at Ted Cruz or at Marco Rubio or at you know anyone else in the in the uh, Jeb, Jeb Bush exclamation point he would throw he would throw mud at Jeb. Uh, they would have to choose, do I stay above the fray, like you said, or once they started throwing mud back, none of it would stick because he was mud. 
You couldn't make it worse for him. He became so impossible to tarnish his reputation because he didn't try to protect it at all. And you can't make mud more dirty. And you saw it in the election. He, you know, won over Hillary, whatever you want. I mean, again, these last two elections, we're not going to get into what the election issues, but he won because he was impossible. It was impossible to use the non-Christian aspects of him, the poor political candidate aspects of him to bring him down. And so it gets back to what we asked at the beginning of this season. Are you trying to help people or are you trying to protect your way of life and your positions of power? And what the Republican Party shifted to was that to protect their power, to protect what they wanted and their way of life, they had to get in the mud, start slinging it more than anyone. And that's what changed. And even worse, the church got co-opted into that as well. Mainline evangelical Christians said, okay, if we're going to hold on to our power and our way of life, we have to choose Barabbas. We have to go and we have to say, okay, we're going to align ourselves with the guy. And not only align, but defend the number of pastors defend that I and heard. Endorse. Yes, the number of pastors that I heard that would say at least like, well, I mean, like, you know, they would re- reference old, you know, uh, ways that God would use pagan kings and stuff like that, or outright saying, no, you know, Trump is a, he's a, he's a Christian and uphold his Christian values. It was like, give me a break. You are, you are, you, you are, comple- you're completely lost it here just to hold on to political power. We'll get back to that conversation in just a second. Hey, Jonathan, what's the hottest take you have? In and out is garbage. Oh, that's a pretty spicy hot take, but not as hot as the new merch we just launched. Get a dodgeball champion shirt, get an I Survive Purity Culture cropped hoodie, and more at unlearningyouthgroup.com. In fact, if you have any hot take ideas for new merch for us, let us know by emailing us at hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. Now, back to the conversation. Okay, so that's the history of it. That's how we got here. Hardest question of today, Eric. Hmm. What did we get right? What was the good intention underlying the bad approach? Uh, uh, I, I don't think there is one. I mean, I... If I if I'm grasping at the at the paperist of paper straws, so to speak, so the most ineffective which we and determined last straw, week were terrible. Yeah, yeah, the most ineffective and terrible straws out there. If I'm going to pull out the worst of the worst paper straws, which might as well be just the sleeve of the plastic straw, you know, <laughs> if we want to <laughs> use that, it's like, should we be standing up for what we believe in? Yes, that's about it. I mean. Th- <laughs> That's like, that is, that's the, oh man, that's trying to make like a pound of sugar feel like it has some nutritional value to it at all. Like, oh, it gives you energy a little bit. Like, it's not good for you. This is not good. There is, there, there was no good. It's holding on to power. Yeah. I don't think there was a good intention. The one thing I wrote down in our notes is it's impossible to deny that American politics were getting dirtier and dirtier. Mm. And that's where politics were going. Yep. I don't think we should have chosen to do what we did as a church and stoop to that level. Right. But 
if you believe, again, giving the utmost grace and good intentions or whatever, if you agree with the <laughs> line of thinking that the best way to move the gospel forward is through legislation to protect what the Bible says we should be acting and behavior management that way or behavior modification, then, okay, you had to play that game in order to get that. I disagree with that, but we want to be honest and true to what we're, we're trying to find the good. Like, yeah. What was bad about it, Eric? Where do we go wrong? Oh, I mean, how many things can we go wrong with? I mean, you know, so if you just look at Gallup, if you if you look at the way church membership has has gone from 2010 to 2020, um, church membership among U.S. adults has dropped about 14 percent. And it's down 22 percent from 1994, which is when we started this whole or when when Republicans started this whole mentality of being able to play dirty and vilify the other side. So that should give you an indication as obviously correlation is not causation, but like you can start to pick up that over time, it definitely has not helped church attendance. And that number is before the pandemic and before the politicization of COVID response and then vaccines and all of that. So I think that number's probably even lower now. And it's actually to the point that for the first time in uh, recorded history in America, church membership is less than a majority of U.S. citizens. So it's under 50% now. We went from something like 69% nice in 1994 <laughs> down to whatever it is now. I think a lot of it has to do with the politicization of this. And we'll get to this in just a minute with some quotes, but where do we go wrong? We've turned a lot of people off from church to the point that David Campbell, who is the chair of Notre Dame's poli sci department, he's quoted saying many Americans, especially young people see religion as bound up with political conservatism and the Republican Party specifically. Since that is not their party or their politics, they do not want to identify as being religious. Mm-hmm. Young people are especially allergic to the perception that many, but by no means all, American religions are hostile to LGBTQ rights. So real quick before you go on is I had this conversation with a family member who will not be named, friend of the show that listens all the time. Um, and he was talking about, he's like, I don't even want to you know, I feel weird about wearing anything with the American flag on it now. I'm the same way. I don't want to be associated with whatever. Like I've got a flagpole out in front of my house and I don't want to put an American flag out there because I'm afraid of what that association brings. I don't want, yeah, that's a different conversation for a different day, but somehow the flag that's supposed to represent all of us has gotten co-opted by one side of the political aisle. But that, that's a, that's a soapbox I don't want to get on today. So moving on. But it's the, it's the idea of these signs have been co-opted. And now when you start to associate different, we've talked about it all season long, when you associate different words, they carry meaning that they were never supposed yep. to in the first place. And that's the same with being a uh, Christian, with being an evangelical, with being conservative. You and I had this conversation. I don't identify as an evangelical, or at least I wouldn't say I'm an evangelical. But do I have all the markers of an evangelical? Yes. But I'm not even going to use that word in public because of the of the negative ramifications that come along with it. Traditional evangelical beliefs, I line up with. What evangelicalism has become, I shun completely. Yes. David Campbell goes on to say, I see no sign that the religious right and Christian nationalism is fading, which in turn suggests that the allergic reaction will continue to be seen, and thus more and more Americans will turn away from religion. 
because they're so tied up together. Another quote I found this week while researching this is from Michelle Margulis. I think that's her name. Uh, Michelle, if you're listening and I said that wrong, I apologize. But she's the author of Free uh, From Politics to the Pews. She says, as religion has been close linked with conservative politics, we've had, listen to this, Democrats opting out of organized religion or mm-hmm. being less involved and Republicans opting in. Yep. And this quote sums up what I have been seeing in a way that I haven't been able to articulate because the idea of Republicans opting into religion is fascinating to me. It explains that people are having their political beliefs and then using the Bible to proof text what they've already believed. And that's what we're seeing as Democrats are moving out. I mean, you think Jimmy Carter was president. Yeah. The man, hopefully by the time this comes out, the man is still alive and is still building habitat for humanity houses (laughs) at like 98 years old. Yeah. He got beaten by the religious right because he wasn't Christian enough. And in that time, since 1980, Democrats have basically been pushed out of Christi- American Christianity, and now yeah. Republicans are coming in and putting their beliefs into the faith instead of letting the faith influence their beliefs. Right, exactly. And elevating uh, candidates who uh, you know stand in front of churches with a Bible held upside down as being like the model for Christians. And it's, it's so interesting. I, I think that quote that you just gave or the idea that you just gave, you know, from Michelle was that that is my, that is my Facebook feed for every young man that has uh, what they would call libertarian, which is really just closet conservatives who want to smoke weed, uh, libertarian. (laughs) I mean, it's true. Libertarian or conservative beliefs. Now, all of a sudden they're aligning with Christianity because because Christianity has done so, uh, not Christianity, but the evangelical conservative church movement has done so much to be like, oh, it's okay. Your beliefs are tolerated here. Your your bigotry, your racism, your uh, you know overt not only tolerated, celebrated. Yeah, it's a party platform. It's it's not a bug anymore. It's a feature. So we've talked about people leaving the church. That's one of the bad things that happened. Pastors are leaving. Pastors are leaving at a rate higher than. Any time that we know about, according to yep. Barna, which if you don't know who Barna is, Barna is the leading church research group. Um, I had a pastor once say that if you hear something is according to Barna, you should expect bad news. <laughs> and this one is bad because in November 2021, 38% of pastors have thought about quitting full-time ministry in the past year. So they were asked 38% of respondees said they'd thought about quitting in the last year. That number, here's the crazy part. In January of 2021, it was 9% less. So over the course of 10 months, it grew by 9%. But if you think about it, what happened between January 21 and November 21? We had January 6th. Mm. We had the COVID vaccines. Both of those got hyper-politicized. Yep. So it got so bad that in 10 months, an extra 9% of our pastors were ready to, to walk away, large part because of politics. Yeah. And I talked about this on TikTok uh, the other day, specifically around the um, student loan forgiveness and some of the songs, you know, like Jesus paid it all. And I had some pushback and, you know, like where my heart was in talking about it was because I know 
there are worship pastors, there are pastors on staff that see the political landmines in front of them and they know they need to speak into some of those things, but it's like, it's just not, it's, it's, it's tearing them apart. It's not worth it. They know that if I say the wrong thing on either side, um, it's, we can't play 10,000 reasons because someone might think that we're advocating for student loan forgiveness because we think of things through a political lens first, instead of a Jesus lens first. Right. Because you know that there's someone sitting in there that's going to come up and walk up to you in the lobby and say something to you or send an email to your elder board or whatever Mm -hmm. else. Like, I can't tell you how many pastors I know that have elder boards or other things like that, where it's like, Hey, uh, I, I affirmed something here that was taken the wrong way politically. And now I'm either out of a job, I'm at risk of losing my job, or Mm -hmm. I feel like I need to leave my job. And that is crazy. I have friends that are pastors who preach on a regular basis and they read the scriptures and they want to speak into something culturally, Mm -hmm. but they know it'll be taken the wrong way. And because their livelihood depends on it, right? or if they're lead pastors, their staff's livelihood depends on it, they rightly or wrongly choose not to step into that arena because they don't want it taken the wrong way that will then lead to people leaving the church because they took something biblical as political and you because and I didn't line form- up with their political beliefs. Yeah. And you and I being former church staff, you know, another plug, we're both marketers. We both work with churches and I don't know about you, but even saying the, this season, I'm like semi nervous that it's going to reduce my ability to, to work with Christians, to work with churches, because it's like, Oh man, what, what do they think about the things that I'm saying here? And it's like mm-hmm. for, for the audience that is so anti-cancel culture, there is a lot of canceling going on. Yeah. Going back to Barna. <laughs> yeah. Cancel culture. Not going to go. That's going to be in uh, in uh, political season 2.2. Yeah. Oh my God. We got someone. Somebody said, sent me a message the other day. Hey, can you guys talk about this? I was like, if you saw the list of things we had that we could talk about that we had to will it down to eight to get through the season, there's so many things that we could have hit on, but going back to bar hit on purity culture strikes again. (laughs) (laughs) That was a stretch. Anyways, that's a 46% of pastors under 45 say they have considered quitting while only 24% of pastors over 45. That means that we're losing our younger generation of church leaders because of the influence of politics and the way things are going in the church of the 38% of the people who are considering quitting. Here are some interesting reasons why they're considering quitting 38% of those, that 38% said current political divisions, 29% said that their vision for church conflicts with their church's direction. Yep. And 21% said they don't feel respected by their congregants. Yep. Of the 62% who haven't or are not considering quitting, 32% of those said current political divisions have negatively impacted their ability to lead at their church within the past year. So I got this comment from a guy named Mason on TikTok, and he said something very similar. He says, I've been a youth pastor, and now I'm a youth leader at another church. And I always try to teach a variety of theological views, but I get shut down by other church leaders saying, we don't believe that here. They would rather preach their doctrine than teach uh, than teach their people how to interpret well. And I mean, you could go through your TikTok, my TikTok, the number of people that feel the same way where it's like, I, I feel these things inside, but I know that if I speak out, 
it's going to be a problem. Yeah. So ultimately we've had two things happen. The rhetoric around politics has turned off Christians, especially left-leaning politically Christians and political people have begun co-opting our faith, which has turned off people from becoming Christians and led pastors to want to leave. And it is a, it is a cycle that is feeding itself. Hey everyone, before we get into the back half of this episode, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about a new podcast launching Monday, November 7th called Unlearning Church Staff. One of the biggest groups leaving Christianity is made up of former church staff, whether paid or volunteer. In this new show, I'll be interviewing different people each week and talking to them about how they left church staff without leaving their faith. A preview episode is already out wherever you get podcasts. Once this episode is over, go subscribe to that new show so you get the first episode when it comes out on November 7th. That's Unlearning Church Staff coming out Monday, November 7th. That's it for me. Now we'll get back to this week's episode. So where do we go from here, Eric? How do we take the good, which where there was none in this episode, how do we take the good or whatever we're learning here and move us forward? Um, I mean, I think the easy answer, you know, it's, we've talked about this, it's in the notes. The easy answer and the natural answer is to say, hey, Christians just need to get out of politics, which we've talked before. And a lot of these issues, swinging the pendulum to the other side isn't going to work either because Christians just can't get out of politics. It's, it's not, it's not going to be possible. And there's probably a lot of people. I would say no adult citizen should be out of politics. Everyone should be involved at some level. Yeah. Yep. But I think, you know, I think it is important that we reframe the approach for sure. Yeah. And this will be the closest to preaching we ever get on this show, I think. But I want to lay out a, a view that I think we need to take with our politics and it comes out of Philippians four. Most of us are aware in Philippians four verse four, where it says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We had the terrible song growing up, whatever. Mm. And we're also aware of verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We know those two, those two are, are quoted everywhere. But I was taught there's a number between four and six. And so that would mean there's a verse between four and six. So verse five, it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And then, so the Lord is at hand that goes into verse six, because the Lord is at hand, do not be anxious about anything. The NIV translates reasonableness to gentleness. And the new living says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. So given that, given that theological principle, I think when it comes to politics and how we approach it, we have to move away from this own the libs type of rhetoric or whatever the progressive version of own the libs is. I don't know what the catchy phrase, because remember democratic messaging sucks, but we have to move away from that to where we're trying to one up or downgrade our political opponent. And we have to be known for our reasonableness in our approach to politics and governing. If we trust that the Lord is at hand, that he is ultimately going to do what he wants to allow happen, then we can focus on our reason when it's more than winning an election or an argument because we have faith in Jesus that he's going to do what he's going to do. We don't have to have 
anxiety about it. Because we know the Lord is at hand, we can be anxious about nothing. We don't have to be anxious about the culture changing around us because so much of the political language where we fight back, it's because we're anxious or scared of what is to come. And we feel like it's our job to protect that. It's our job to protect this Christian way of life. And that's why we will do any means necessary in order to do that. Yeah. And I think that that's another thing that should be a filter to raise up uh, questions in your mind when you hear politicians, especially politicians on your side of the political aisle, that tell us that Christians, um, you know, that, uh, let's see, what was, what was the famous quote that, uh, you know, if Jesus would have had an AR-15, he probably wouldn't have gotten killed, you know, like when there, when there's some, oh my goodness, when there's some call, when there is some call to be radical or that we need to, you know, get in the mud, like, like Newt says, going back to that, that verse, if you look, or even, Hey, Eric, let me interrupt you on the other side, Joe Scarborough on MSNBC saying, well, Jesus never talked about abortion. So he probably didn't care about it at all. Right. Going that direction as well. Yeah. Cause if you look at that word reasonable, you know, like just a quick view of what the, what the Greek definitions suitable, equitable, fair, mild, gentle, like equitable. So having your mindset not go off the deep end and go like, oh yeah, well, Jesus probably didn't care about abortions at all. But then on the other side, not being like, oh yeah, you know what? Jesus should have had an AR and then he wouldn't have died. Like neither of those approaches are reasonable. And if your politics starts to get into the, uh, get into the land of, of unreasonable, that is a red flag that you need to come back and evaluate how you are supposed to be, uh, how you're supposed to be living. Because I believe that that anxiety uh, verse right afterwards is so important. It's when we start to feel like we can't be equitable, fair, mild, uh, gentle, suitable, reasonable, that we start to become anxious because now we have taken on, um, we have taken on the onus that like, oh man, uh, God needs my defending on this topic. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He doesn't need your defending on this topic. He doesn't need you typing up another Facebook post. He doesn't need you, you know, yelling at somebody in a, in a restaurant, like chill out, be reasonable and make it known to every, you should be known as the reasonable one. How many people think that about you? Yeah. And let me be clear. Let me, I, I do want to clarify one thing because so I, I've said this on TikTok before and it was right after uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned and somebody's like, well, how can you be reasonable if your rights just got taken away? Being angry and being reasonable are not mutually exclusive. You can be angry and still be reasonable. In your anger, do not sin. You can be angry about a policy you don't like or that you think is wrong, but you need to fight to stay reasonable and represent Jesus just as much as you fight against the harmful policy. That means no name calling. It means no exaggerating. It means no fear mongering. Let yourself be known by your reasonableness. Yeah. And I think that's where, as we talked about, you start to see a lot of people with a certain political view now opt in to religion and use it as proof texting. And if you care, uh, this might be controversial, maybe for a cut, but if you care more about something that the constitution says, than the way that the Bible has told you to live, 
that may be a sign, right? Because like even Jesus was silent, like a lamb going to the slaughter. You know what I mean? He could have stopped everything and said, I have the power to stop all of this. And in other areas too, where it was like, you got to pick how you're going to live and see what is more important to you. Is it being like Jesus or is it some political ideology? There's that old saying that your parents probably told you, or you've read somewhere, maybe it's a Southern saying that you don't have to join every fight you're invited to. Right. And I think that's, that's part of this. Like we're going to be invited to a bunch of fights, a bunch of cultural fights, a bunch of everything at this point, we don't have to get Mm -hmm. on everyone. I don't have to respond to every stranger's comment on TikTok. It's hard. It's hard not to, I want to fight back. I, I want to win. I'm, I'm the type of person that I know I'm relatively intelligent and I want to show that off sometimes and I want to push back. But when I'm tempted to do that, am I being known by my reasonableness or I'm trying to be known by my intelligence? Am I being known as loving and gentle or am I trying to be known for being right? It's a really hard tension. But if our hope is in Jesus, which is what we've said this entire season, then we should be able to reframe politics as a necessary part of our society, but not one that's going to be the linchpin of the future of our faith. Yes. And ultimately, I mean, here's, here's where I want to leave this season. I'll ask a question. Is your hope in Jesus or is it in your political party protecting your preferred way of life? At the end of the day, the way you answer that will impact the way you view this entire thing. And if you say that your political party has been sent or verified by Jesus to protect your preferred way of life, you're wrong. (laughs) And if you say that you are protecting the way that Jesus preferred your life with your political party, you are wrong. Those are things that you need to evaluate and go back and really dig down to the bottom of. That's it for season five of Unlearning Youth Group. It's been a fun one. It's been hard. It's been really hard to to be fair, but thank you for joining us and going so far down this journey with us. Thank you for all the feedback we've gotten the last eight weeks. This January, we're going to be back to our normal non-political purity culture and behavior modification and all that for season six of the show. (laughs) A lot of stuff Uh, might happen between now and then. Oh God, I don't want to do another political. This uh, give me two years before we do another one of these. Oof. So hey, because we're going back to normal, we do want your your stories, your youth group stories for when you were a leader or when you were in youth group. If you have a great story, record a voice memo and email it to hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. You can email us any question or feedback there as well. If you want to get in touch on social, Eric is at Eric W seven one two on all the major platforms. I am at Jonathan underscore Corona on them as well. Two quick reminders before you get out of here. We've got your, we got merch for you at unlearningyouthgroup.com. And next week we kick off unlearning church staff. And my first guest is someone who you might know. Oh, it's me. I'm on the, <laughs> I'm going to be on the podcast. It's going to be great. I get to interview Eric and you get to learn more about his story. If you want to hear my story, the preview episode of unlearning church staff is already out. I'll tell a little bit of my story and how I got here in that. But as always, thanks for making us a part of your day and we will see you again this January. Have a great Thanksgiving and Christmas. 